Howdy, folks, and welcome to the Kentuckian Podcast. Enjoy. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Kentuckian. This episode will be continuing our discussion of logical fallacies. So this is part two of the, the logic and fallacies series. The last episode in this series, we spent some time talking about formal logical fallacies, some concepts that aren't quite as straightforward or well-known as the informal logical fallacies. We uh, covered a small number of the informal logical fallacies last episode, but there are a bunch, believe me. So we'll talk about several of those today. We still won't get through the list. In fact, we won't even be that close, maybe approaching the halfway point of the list of informal fallacies. Um, because, like I said, there's a big old long list. But I think this will be some good discussion. Some of these fallacies are actually quite similar to like maybe one other, and I'll, I'll point that out. You'll probably pick up on it too. Um, so some of them we, we won't spend as much time just because it's almost a repeat of one we've already talked about. But just to remind you why I've chose to do, do this series and, and talk about logic and particularly logical fallacies, uh, I think from my own experience, once you start to get a feel for logical fallacies, it'll be significantly easier to identify them in your everyday life. And of course, being able to have a, a decent grasp of logic and especially fallacies is very important anyway. And then hopefully going over this will help you start to be able to pick them out in your everyday life, making you more logical in your thinking and also better protected against being swept up by convincing but fallacious arguments and statements. So let's get into it. The first logical fallacy, again informal the way it was defined on the website that I was using and will be linked again this episode, logicalfallacies.org. Uh, so the next one in the list from what we talked about last time is the appeal to authority. So we're going to start off with what is perhaps one of the most common and dangerous fallacies that we see today, especially in the last year and a half or so, and that's appeal to authority. Now, in, in a lot of ways, this logical fallacy is very basic. You appeal to someone or something that's supposed to be a credible source as your argument, uh, not as part of your argument, as your argument. That is, well, the person that's in the position of authority said it, it must be true. Right. This scientist or government official said a new vaccine is safe and effective. Therefore, it, it must be. You don't look into it anymore. You don't use anything else for your argument said, well, the government official, the scientist, the researchers said it was was safe. I mean, they wouldn't lie to us. Right. It's not like they ever have a history of having done that before. <laughs> now, a scientist, again, might be a very good source. In your in, in justifying your argument, but they also might not be. Scientists, researchers, government officials, any of these authority figures are people. And people can be bought. People can have biases. People can just make a mistake or not have all the information they need. It's not always because you think that they're out for, out for you or you think that they're evil, although that can be true. People just mess stuff up sometimes. That's why we need to look at the logic of someone's arguments, not the letters that come after their name, not the piece of paper or the position they have that's supposed to give them authority, quote-unquote. We need to look at the logic of their argument. It's why we look at their sources, where are they getting their information from, the potential biases that they have. And oftentimes, or most of the time, 
other sources so we can get multiple opinions on the subject. Let, let's let's bring this idea closer to home a little bit. If you have an unusual disease, say a form of cancer that's difficult to fight, but it's treatable. Maybe it's kind of a rare form or something like that. If, if you are unfortunate to, to have that situation fall upon you or somebody close to you, do you go to one oncologist and do what he says to a T? Just go one one cancer doctor, do what he says, no questions asked, and that's it. Well, probably not. Usually you're going to go to multiple doctors, maybe two or three oncologists, maybe some radiologists if you're going to have to have chemo or, or, or radiation treatment. Well, I guess more radiation treatment because that's more what, uh, if I understand correctly, what radiologists deal with, and, and, and so on, right? You're going to see a lot of different doctors. In fact, probably some regular doctors, maybe some some uh, other doctors that deal with a, another special specialty that is related but isn't uh, um, directly fighting the cancer. I mean, maybe an anesthesiologist, if you're going to have to have surgery, right? You, you may uh, go and talk to them for some reason. You're going to get a lot of different opinions. In fact, you'll probably even try and find reviews of these doctors from patients that have been treated by them. You want to get a lot of qualified opinions because guess what? These doctors, these professionals, these authority figures, if you will, are all going to have different perspectives. And oftentimes they'll even have different opinions on treatment paths, relative risk of the treatments that are being talked about and so on. So if you see someone, an organization or whoever, trying to say, and this is especially true of, of the government and media, if you see them tr trying to say, all doctors are, are, are proposing this. All researchers are concluding that X is true and so on. Uh, or perhaps more insidious and something that you see more often, especially recently, doctors say, researchers say, government officials say, professionals say. And you're like, well, what's the difference there? That's opposed to what people should be saying not trying to, to appeal to authority, but they should be saying some doctors are believe that this is an effective treatment. The This group of researchers, this, this polling place, whatever the case might be, has this data. This government official proposes or has mandated X, Y, and Z, whatever. If they're not doing that, if they're saying all doctors or they're just saying doctors say, researchers say, implying that it's all doctors or all researchers or whoever you're talking about, you should have alarms going off in your head immediately because that's basically an appeal to authority. And it's something that has been used a lot because, well, a lot of different reasons. And, and I'd kind of like to get off on a tangent, but I don't know that I have the time and really should get into it. But it's easy to just go with, well, the professional said it, right? Anyway. And as an aside, I'm, I'm not even really going into another element we could go off on a tangent on of whether the sources you're looking at are credible at all. Often we found that what used to be relatively credible is completely incredible now. Uh, so we need to be careful, even if you understand this fallacy, we need to be careful what we consider credible sources at all. But it's a little bit of a tangent. Don't want to get far off onto that. Let's go on to the next logical fallacy, and that's appeal to emotion. It's another very common and very dangerous fallacy or that, that bounces around today. It's just what it sounds like. Instead of making an evidence-based, logical argument, you appeal to people's empathetic tendencies and characteristics. One example that the website used, uh, and again, I've linked that in, and I will, will have linked that in the description, 
uh, paraphrasing the example they used is the base, the classic situation when a kid won't eat or won't eat certain part of his food. And the mother says, think of all the starving people in X third world country, right? Used to be China a lot, maybe Africa now, it just depends. Uh, or maybe a specific country in Africa, whatever. You all get what I'm talking about. Now, while it's important that there are starving children or starving people in other countries, that it's not, I'm not trying to minimize that. The hunger of a child on the other side of the world is not affected by whether a child does or doesn't eat their greens. Now, I understand this, this argument or something similar to it may be used to teach gratefulness or other important lessons. But this way of doing it, using this particular kind of argument, isn't necessarily effective without more context. So this is the idea of saying, well, you should eat it because somebody somewhere else doesn't have anything. Those two things aren't, aren't connected. Not really. And that, but that's an appeal to emotion. Think about the children, right? They did, they've done that a lot with gun control, right? Now, that, that's not the, the media attention on gun control has died down some for now. But what is it they always say? There's some shooting and immediately politicians start dancing on the graves of the people that have been killed by someone with evil intent who may have happened to have used a gun and say, well, think of the children. Think about the people that have died, right? And that's why we need gun control. Don't think about the, the logic or the effectiveness of gun control or the legality or the, the, the morality of gun control. Just say, we need to do something now because we're in an emotional state and that's what we need to, to base things off. That's an appeal to emotion. Uh, we see it today a lot with the current disease, right? Politicians are using uh, this, this fallacy to fearmonger. I mentioned this actually a little bit in my last episode. You know, politicians have literally been telling people, including children, that if they don't wear a mask, they don't social distance, so on, that they will kill grandma. They'll they'll be responsible for the death of their grandparents. Oh, you're you're spreading a pandemic, and all these people are dying because of you, and so on and so forth. They'll also talk about all the people that have died, ignoring the death numbers relative to other diseases and causes. It's actually mostly is not as significant as it's played up, but by emphasizing the numbers and percentages that are usually completely ignored, they can convince people based off emotion that a situation is much more serious than it really is. They're not saying, let's look at the numbers of this disease, let's look at the statistics, let's look at who's affected and compare it to the flu and compare it to pneumonia and compare it to other diseases so we kind of have a feel for the actual magnitude and reach of this disease, it's we never talk about those numbers, so we just focus on the numbers that we have for this disease and blow it out of proportion. That's another appeal to emotion. Emotion, when not kept in check, blinds and, or clouds our wiser thinking, and, and therefore it's a powerful tool for liars, manipulators, and tyrants. Now, the next one I want to talk about, next logical fallacy, is appeal to nature. Appeal to nature is arguing that since something is natural, it's good, it's healthy, it's justified, etc., right? Because it's natural, that's the justification for whatever it might be. This can be used to justify a lot of things. They give an example uh, pointing out that, a, and this was from the website, pointing out that a product claiming to use natural ingredients is an example of this fallacy, considering there are many harmful things, including poisons, that are natural. Uh, so saying a product is natural doesn't really mean much. It's, it's just an appeal to nature to make your product look better. Certain actions are justified by saying, well, that's a natural reaction. That doesn't make the natural reaction or the instinctual reaction right. 
but that's an appeal to nature. Uh, another example, and this is something that I think is still applicable, but it's a bit more direct, I guess, but hopefully it'll help illustrate it. If you're foraging for wild foods or perhaps you're in a survival situation, you, you cannot look at what an animal, even what a mammal is eating, to see what is safe for you to consume. You know, you're, you're, you need food, whatever, so you're trying to find what's safe. And if I if I remember correctly, I should have double I should have checked this. But if I remember correctly, some people have made that argument. Well, look at what um, a certain animal is eating. Look at what a deer is eating, for example, and that'll give you a rough idea of what's safe. That's really not true. It's an appeal to nature, right? Well, we're mammals. We're we're we are biologically animals. So like, okay, what they're eating should be safe, right? For us to eat. Well, not really. Uh, for example, deer eat poison ivy, and it doesn't really affect them. Obviously, as humans, we can't eat poison ivy um, without some serious, serious side effects. But an appeal to nature would say, since the animal does it, it must be safe. Like I said, should have double checked, but I'm pretty sure that argument has been made, at least for uh, people that are quote unquote survival experts and stuff. A similar situation occurs with the people that get on Facebook and rant about leaving your dog out in the cold. If you're cold, they are. And you'll see that kind of thing going around. If, if you're cold, they are. If you're cold, bring them in, right? Well, that's an appeal to na a, a logical fallacy that's an appeal to nature. Because in reality, most dogs, even short-haired dogs, are very well equipped for the cold and are comfortable in temperatures that are much lower than we would find comfortable or even tolerable. Now, of course, that's not saying you can't get to some extremes and need to, you know, bring an animal in so it's safe. But... But it's an appeal, it's a false appeal to authority or to nature because, well, me being cold, me being uncomfortable, me, it even being unsafe for me is not necessarily uh, the case for a dog. But naturally, right, the natural thing for me to say is, well, I'm cold, so they must be. That's just not necessarily true, but that's an appeal to nature. So hopefully that uh, helps illustrate that. The next one is appeal to ridicule. Appeal to ridicule is an attempt to delegitimize an argument by insinuating it's absurd without actually addressing the argument that's being made. Basically, you just make fun of the argument instead of actually addressing the points. Sarcasm can be used for this purpose sometimes. Um, this one's pretty easy, I think, especially once you hear a couple examples. I'm just going to give the examples they gave, and I think you'll see pretty easy what we're talking about. So the first one they gave, everyone should wear seatbelts. We should also wear bibs and sleep in a bassinet. Bassinet's basically a baby sleeper. Um, well, obviously, like instead of actually addressing whether we should wear seatbelts or not, you just go to the extreme and say, well, we should also wear bibs and sleep in a bassinet, like the person that proposes wearing seatbelts is insinuating that we're all basically babies and can't take care of ourselves, right? Now, the other example they gave is, why should I support the Second Amendment? Do I look like a toothless hick? Uh, right, making uh, the, the using stereotypes and ridicules about about country folks and rednecks and and applying that to support of the Second Amendment because those people usually do instead of actually addressing whether you should support the Second Amendment or not. Again, think that one's pretty easy. The next one is appeal to tradition. As you may have noticed, several of these quote unquote appeal to fallacies are pretty straightforward, but and there are several of them, but this is the last one, so don't worry. Appeal to tradition is, again, pretty straightforward. It's basically the, well, this is the way we've always done it argument, right? If that's the way it's been done, then it must be right, that sort of thing. One example they gave, again, paraphrasing their example in this case, was arguing that someone, and I'm the, the insinuation was like a parent talking to a child that's ready to attend college or something, 
uh, you know, that someone must attend the University of California system because everyone else in their family has done the same. Well, just because their family has gone to the, all their family has gone to the University of California system doesn't mean that this person that's being referred to has to, right? That's, that's an appeal tra to tradition. It's not a logical argument for going to the University of California system. It's just, that's the way it's been done. That's what our family's done, so you should have to, too. It's pretty straightforward. I think it's a, a good example. The other example, this one I'm quoting, was the death penalty is acceptable because it always because it has always been the means with which heinous crimes has been punished. That's, again, a logical fallacy that's appealed to tradition. It's, it, they're not saying, I'm not saying the death penalty is unacceptable. It's just that saying it is acceptable because it's always been done that way isn't a valid argument. You need to say, I believe that, you know, it's acceptable because God instituted capital punishment or because it's justice for the people that, uh, that are victims of, of capital crimes and so on and so forth, right? Uh, not, well, that's the way it's always been done, so it should be fine. The next one is argument from repetition. This is a different, a little bit different, kind of changing gears a little bit. Argument from repetition is when instead of supporting their argument, again, with evidence, with logic, with facts, whatever, uh, a person simply repeats it and or repeats the assertion that it's true. It's kind of like governments, officials, organizations, and ad campaigns that are constantly saying that masks save lives or whatever other slogan for acceptable behavior they, they're pushing at the moment. Constantly saying that masks save lives doesn't make it true, doesn't make it so. Show me the evidence. That's what that's kind of the key with argument from repetition that you actually you even start to get into a little bit of, of uh, propaganda and stuff with that. A lot of places, they just repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And I'm sure you can probably think of some examples as well. Sometimes it's kind of subtle. Again, the, the, the way that these ad campaigns and government officials are word things in that, well, this is true. And they don't make the argument for it. They just constantly repeat it. And I think if you start paying attention to, to PSAs and, and uh, other official communications like that, you might start to pick up on that a little bit more. But, of course, again, the mask thing, some of that stuff's all over the place, the vaccine, those sort of things. It's safe and effective. Well, it's not really what the CDC says, but, you know, they, they keep saying it until people believe it's true. Um, just so you know, this uh, logical fallacy is also sometimes called argumentum ad nauseum, just for your edification. Uh, some of these have Latin names. Some of them directly are Latin names, like the next one we're about to talk about. Um, but some of them, they kind of give it a more modernized name, but they still are sometimes referred to with the original Latin uh, phrasing. I believe it's Latin. So the next logical fallacy that I want to talk you talk about is called argumentum ad populum. If you notice the populum part, you might start to pick up on what this is. This is a logical fallacy that if everyone or most people believe something to be true, that fact legitimizes the argument, legitimizes the stance, whatever the case is. For instance, a lot of people smoke marijuana or believe that it's not harmful, not a big deal, whatever. Does that mean that what they believe is necessarily true? Of course not. And a lot of people are like, well, you know, all these people smoke and it's not a big deal, right? Well, just because a lot of people may believe that doesn't mean that's actually the case, right? And of course... There's a large amount of evidence already that marijuana is actually very harmful in a lot of cases. But anyway, 
the old standby counter to this line of reasoning, perhaps the other side of the coin will help you think about it a little differently, is when your parents, you're, you're trying to convince your parents that you want you want something or you want to participate in something. Well, all my friends are doing it. And they say, well, if your friends jumped off a bridge, would you follow them? Would you do it too? <laughs> Uh, again, it's pretty simple, and a lot of these are more simple than perhaps we realize at times, but I really believe that gets to the heart of this fallacy. It really doesn't matter what most people do, what everybody does. What matters is what are you doing, and is what you are doing right, is what you are doing good. What other people are doing is irrelevant to the choices you make or the the stances or beliefs that you have, or it should be. The next one is really closely connected with argumentum ad populum. It's called the bandwagon fallacy. It's basically the same in many ways, but it focuses on the popularity of the action or belief to validate it, whereas argumentum ad populum focuses on whether people believe it to be true. I would kind of lump these together as basically interchangeable. They really focus on two sides of the same coin. I mean, well, I guess maybe two sets of the same dice, right? They're they're basically basically the same, just slightly different um, focuses. Again, argumentum ad populum focuses on whether people believe something to be true. The bandwagon fallacy focuses on the actual popularity or of the action or belief. So, like whether it's a fad or not, that sort of thing. Whether it's popular, um, whether media and whoever else is pushing it as the the next in thing or the the next classy uh, stylish thing right all right the next logical fallacy is begging the question now this is actually we're technically going to cover two here with this one but again they are very very closely related and can be just about lumped together um, so the last two here are the last two we will we'll cover for today now, begging the question is the logical fallacy is a little bit different from the phrase that you may hear perhaps in the courtroom dramas or whatever. Now, this begs the question, and then they, they make their point. It, it seems like they are in a sense connected, but I don't want to get into how because I feel like we're going to get off in the weeds and just sort of get confused. So let's focus on the fallacy, the logical fallacy. It has to do with circular argumentation or circular reasoning. Uh, the conclusion of the argument is included in the statement of its premise. The let me repeat that, and then we'll just go straight into some examples. The conclusion of the argument is included in the statement of the, its premise. It's referring to the argument. So I'll use two examples, and these are the ones from logicalfallacies.org. Again, that'll be in the description if you want to check that out for yourself. I think it's a very good resource. The first example, the first argument, right? Opium is known to put people to sleep because it contains soporific, soporific properties. Excuse me. Soporific properties are properties that cause drowsiness or sleepiness. So you're literally saying that opium is known to put people to sleep because it has properties that put people to sleep. So I think you can see where that connection with circular reasoning is, but it focuses on... Um, putting the conclusion in the, the premise. The other example they gave, stocks are the best investment since every other investment is an inferior option. Again, this one's pretty obvious. But begging the question is what we would probably colloquially call circular reasoning, although circular reasoning is slightly different. And that's the last one technically we'll talk about. Now, circular reasoning, 
which is its own logical fallacy, also known as circulus in demonstrando, is almost the same as begging the question, but the reasoning or argument begins with the claim that they want to conclude with. It's a very, very fine difference. Again, I think you would be fine to lump these together, but I'll just give their examples again, um, and, and hopefully you can uh, perhaps see a slight difference. It, it is, it is a, a minor distinction, but it is there. Their first example, whatever is less dense than water will float because such objects won't sink in water. Whatever is less dense than water will float because such objects won't sink in water. It's not an argument based off of the density uh, uh, and, and, and the actual physics of whether something um, that's less dense than water will float. It's because they don't sink. Therefore, objects less dense than water will float. The other example that they gave, and remember, these are all just examples um, to help illustrate the fallacy. Women should be able to have abortions, so abortion should be legal and easily available. Again, two very similar fallacies, and, and like I said, that's not saying that, that um, they're proposing abortion should be allowed or anything. It's just an example to help illustrate the point. Um, I know it's easy for me to kind of get caught up, if I'm not careful, get caught up with the statement that's being said. And when they're not necessarily supporting the statement, they're just using it as an illustration. So keep that in mind. And, and again, as you start to get a feel for these fallacies, you'll start to be able to pick it up a lot easier. And they and that sort of thing probably won't throw you as much, throw you for a loop as much. So there are two examples for circular reasoning, circular reasoning or circulus and demonstrando and begging the question logically are two very, very similar fallacies. So I hope you all have enjoyed this episode. Uh, these are, are kind of interesting to make. It's a little bit of a change of pace for me. Of course, I tend to focus on politics and history. But again, I, I think this is a very important subject and there's still several logical fallacies to go over. I, was looking at it, this series will probably end up having two or three more episodes at least. Again, I, I don't expect ne next week's episode to be on this. Probably be a, couple, a week or two before I get back to it. But uh, please help me get this out there. Uh, it's, it's really, again, so important to be intentional and logical in our thinking. Uh, it helps us to, to, to think better, to understand why we believe something better and be logical and feel confident in what we believe, but also in, again, as I mentioned at the beginning, not getting swept up in things that sound good but are really pretty illogical. We just don't quite realize it. Logical fallacies are, are fallacies because they sound good, but they really aren't. They really don't stand up under pressure. And I again, I, I believe that understanding logical fallacies goes a long way in facilitating our ability to think logically uh, our ability to be intentional and rational in our thinking. Now, interesting, the first episode of this series that I did a week or two ago, a couple weeks ago, um, actually did way better than most of my recent episodes. So <laughs> I assume there's something y'all liked about it. I hope this will be the, that'll be the same for, for this episode. Uh, but please feel free to give me feedback. Uh, of course, I, I would love to hear from you, get, get responses on particular episodes, questions, comments, whatever the case might be. Follow my Instagram and Facebook pages that are that'll that'll be linked in the description for this episode, and you can keep up with the news, what's going on, and and with the Kentuckian. But also, it's a good way to reach out to me to give me feedback, to give me uh, that sort of thing. So that can be a very very good resource for you, especially if you'd like to have a little a little bigger hand in 
in helping me to spread this and also um, shaping the Kentuckian to, to kind of get, hopefully, to a certain degree, what you want out of it. Because I do, I do want to make sure that I'm addressing topics that are relevant and helpful for you all. So, And feedback's a great way for me to help make sure that I'm doing that. If you'd like to help me in a more personal way, help, help me expand my capabilities and, and make sure that I can keep putting significant amounts of time into this, my Patreon is also linked below. And remember, folks, as long as you and I are doing the right thing, we will make a difference in this old world. The Kentuckian, trying to make a difference one person at a time.